Today in our men's power lunch, I want to I ask the question today. When you survey the culture, when you look around today, where are the people with a backbone today? Where are the people who stand for something today? More than that, where are the people who live for something? And I mean actually live for something today. People with a purpose that they get up in the morning and they live committed to that purpose in our men's lunch, I want to ask the question, and really it's just a carryover of what we've been doing. Where are the men today who live like men, who act like men, the men that God has called us to be in his word? Men that would, that would pray with their wives, men that would build their wives up, men that would be the head of the home. The Bible says we're to be the head of the marriage relationship. Where are the men who would spend time reading the Bible and studying the Bible. They would know God's word. More than that, that they would live according to God's word. And even more than that, where are the men that would teach it to their kids? We're studying and we're looking. You know what? The, the primary person that's supposed to teach the kids the truth of God's word, that is to be the dad in the home. Where are the men like that? Where are the men that live so opposite to the culture that they stand out? Where are the men who live for this purpose. Doesn't that seem to be a rare thing today? Let me say this. I don't think it's because there's a lack of desire. I think if we went around and we surveyed men, I think that would be our heart. That's what we want to do. I don't think it's because there's a lack of resolve. I know some strong, strong men. I know some resolved men. I don't think it's because of a lack of character. I know some men, and there's some in this room, men of great, great character. I don't think it's any of those things. I think today it is because we have a lack of perspective. Where are these men at? I think it's because today we have a lack of perspective. You see, the truth is this. Today, our world says and our world rewards and our world teaches us that the greatest goal of life, and I was thinking about this, the greatest goal of life is our comfort. You could call it happiness or whatever you want to call it. Uh, the goal of life is that you would be happy. The goal of life is that you would be comfortable. And so anything that comes along that, that causes discomfort, we're taught to avoid those things. If something is hard, we're, we're taught that we would avoid those things. If something comes along and it, it causes an agitation, we avoid those things. And that's really how we start to order our lives. The greatest thing that could happen is that I would be happy and my wife is to make me happy and my home exists to make me happy and, and all these things are to make me comfortable. And that's the greatest thing that drives our lives today. And if something is hard, we're going to avoid it. My wife is the tennis coach and, and talking to her about how just in a short time, 20 years, 25 years, how kids are different today. And you used to be able to come and say, you know what, the goal is this and our mission is that and we're going to work hard for that. And you come today and you say, you know what, we're going to have to do this. We're going to quit. Well, no, my mom said I don't have to run. I, I'm going to quit. We have a dress code. We're going to live according to the dress code. Oh, I'm going to go to the principal. I think I'm going to quit. Anything hard, anything that causes an agitation is against the goal. Our goal is to be happy in all things. And that is really the, the thing that is shaping us as a culture today. It's shaping us as men today. 
especially it has entered into the church and it's shaping our religious practice today. Honestly, it is shaping how we see God today, which means this. We want God to bless us. And we think the purpose of our God is that he would, that he would bless us and he would glorify us and he would, he would give us stuff and he would give me money. Oh, I, I need this job and I need this amount of income and God's job is to secure that for me or I, I need this thing or I need these things or I need this level of health and it's his job to make sure I'm never sick. And for sure it's not the opposite of that. For sure it's not that it would ever cost us to follow Jesus Christ. And it's changed our perception of the God that we've served. And honestly, this has led really to an incomplete picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know that's Satan's plan? For people to have a version of the gospel, but not the true gospel. This has led to a, a, a perversion of the gospel, a, a distortion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And really, today, many people think that the gospel stands that we might not suffer. And really that's what's being taught. And that's what's the prevalent thought. The gospel stands that we might not suffer. And Jesus came and he lived a life with no sin and he died a terrible death on the cross and he rose from the grave again and he did all of that that I might not suffer. He did all of that that my hardships would be removed. And people come and they, they like to tie this verse to it and they say, by his stripes we are healed. Jesus came that we might not suffer. Friends, that's a false gospel. Be sure today, Jesus came as the remedy for sin. The problem today is sin and Jesus came to pay and to receive our penalty for sin that we might be saved from the consequence and the penalty we were going to have to pay for sin. He is our Savior for sin. I go back and I read that verse. Everybody wants to quote that verse. The rest of the verse says this. He is pierced for our transgressions, sin. He is crushed for our iniquities, our evil sin. The Lord caused the iniquity, the sin of us all to fall upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. healed. Man, it's talking about the penalty for sin. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. Let me just tell you this. In our day, if you embrace that gospel, you're going to be saved. But let me tell you something else. In our day, if you embrace that gospel, you will suffer. If you embrace the true gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will suffer. Well, that's not what the smiling guy on TV says. That's not what the preacher woman that's got the weekend workshop for $99, that's not what she says. That's not the, the bookstore author that's selling out. That's not what, what they say. If you take up that gospel, you will suffer. 2 Timothy 3.12, and I could have pulled 100 verses out. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 1 John chapter 3, verse 13 says, Do not be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. That's what Jesus said and Peter said and Paul said. 1 Peter chapter 4 says, And do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that besets you, that comes upon you. The truth of today is this. Get this. Here's the truth of the whole day. If you stand for Christ, 
you will suffer. And if your goal is to never suffer, you cannot stand for Jesus Christ. That's the goal, that's the, that's the point, the truth of today. If you stand for Jesus Christ, you will suffer. And if your goal in life is to never suffer, you cannot stand for Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says, be strong, stand firm, act like men. If your goal is not to suffer, if your goal is comfort, if your goal is ease in this life, you're not going to be able to stand for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're moving verse by verse through 1 Peter. He's, he's writing a letter to people who are persecuted for the truth of the gospel. We're in verse 17 today. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, it says this. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for what is doing right rather than for doing what is wrong. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing right rather than for doing what is wrong. Now I want you to see a couple things, really just two things here, but two things here in this 17th verse to help us have the right perspective. If we've been misled, if the culture and, and false teachers are teaching the wrong thing, how do we have the right perspective? Well, we're going to go to God's Word and we're going to see two things in this 17th verse to help us establish a right perspective. First thing is this, and it's going to be counter to what you're going to hear in most places, and it's this. God allows suffering. God allows suffering. And maybe a little bit uglier than that, and we don't want to hear this. And so if you are suffering, then God has allowed it. Maybe that's not popular. I'm going to tell you that's not going to sell a lot of books. But God allows suffering. Now think about that for just a second. Is God in control? We say he's absolutely in control. He's sovereign. He's over all things. Is God powerful? Yes, he's powerful. He spoke everything into existence. He is, has all power. Could God stop it? Absolutely he could stop it. And so if he didn't stop it, he has allowed it. Now let me say this. I do not like it. And I... Do not go around looking for it. But I want to tell you that the honest truth is this. The greatest changes that ever occurred in the course of my life for the glory of God, the greatest things that ever happened in my life for a positive outcome came out of times of great suffering. And I'll just tell you, when things are going good and I'm Cadillacing along, I get pretty complacent. And I become pretty apathetic. And the things that have shaped me more to be like Jesus Christ, the things that have gotten my attention and turned me to, 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 to look to my Savior, Jesus Christ, came out of times that I was on my knees, not because I was praying, but because I was knocked down to my knees and I couldn't breathe and I didn't know where to turn. And in those times of great suffering, God did some tremendous things. Let me tell you something. I wouldn't know the value of God's Word if it weren't for times of great suffering. I would not know the blessing of a God who answers and hears our prayers if it were not for times of great suffering. I'll just tell you, I wouldn't be a preacher standing in front of you today if it were not for times of great suffering. And so when somebody comes along and says, well, God can't give you what he doesn't have, the false prophet Bill Johnson out there in Bethel, God can't give you what he doesn't have. He wouldn't allow you to suffer. It sounds good, but it's a lie. God allows suffering. More 
and more and more and more. I'm starting to find this out. Listen to this. It's more about the mission than it is about us. Sometimes the light needs to go on. You know what? It's more about the mission than it is about us. It's more about the, the completion of the, of, the, of the mission than it is about our comfort and our happiness. And I want to tell you, the prosperity gospel robs us of that. The word faith movement robs us of that. It's more about the mission than it is about us. Second truth is this. Pretty hard as well, but here's, here's the second truth. It is better to suffer for what is doing right than for, what is, what, for doing what is wrong. It is better for you and me to suffer for having done the right thing. It's better to suffer for doing right than it is to suffer for what, it, what you've done wrong. Let me just tell you, that is absolutely absurd. That is absolutely ridiculous, and that's totally backwards. Somebody robs somebody, and they get caught, and they go to jail. That's okay. That's how it ought to be. They suffer for the wrong that they did. Somebody kills somebody, and they're convicted, and they, they go to jail. That's what we expect. They're suffering for the wrong that they did. You have a sin in your life, and you enter into that sin, and then you're, you're caught in that sin, and you suffer the, the consequences for that sin. That's how it should be. But if you strive to honor God... If you strive to seek to, 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 to live for his glory and his honor and you're, you're trying to do the right things and then you suffer, that is better. That's absolutely crazy, but that's what the Bible says. It says it right there. It is better. How's it better? Well, to understand the be how it is better, we have to see the context here. See the context here. Peter, now think about Peter. He's getting ready to go and it's not going to be long. He's going to be crucified upside down. And I, I, I can't imagine how much pain is involved in being crucified upside down. But he's about to be crucified upside down. He writes a letter to these folks, and they've been displaced. They've been pushed out of their homes. Their property rights have been taken away from them. Some of them have been beaten. Some of them have been put in jail. They know folks who have died. And he writes these folks a letter, and they are suffering. They are persecuted because they stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to see the context of that. See what they are really saying. They are saying that there is salvation in Jesus Christ alone. That is why they're hated. That is why they're persecuted. They are saying they're, they're, they are, there's only salvation in Jesus Christ alone. They're, they're going to the culture and they're saying, you know what the problem is? The problem is not your parents and the problem is not your environment and the problem is not how you were raised. They're saying the problem is sin and it's your sin. Then they're saying, you know what, the remedy for sin and the only remedy for sin is Jesus Christ. The message of these folks is the only hope that you have, the only way you could ever be saved is through Jesus Christ. Now think about that. That means they're telling people, your good deeds aren't going to help you. A whole lot of people are getting mad. They're telling other folks, your religion's not going to save you. It's not going to save you. That's making a whole lot of people mad. They're telling some people, your reputation, whatever it is, it's not going to save you. They're saying, you know what, yourself, all the things you could ever muster up, your good deeds, your goodness of your heart, that can't save you. That's making some folks mad. They're telling other people, these false gods that you're worshiping, these false gods that your dad's clung to, they can't save you. It is only in Jesus Christ alone. Then on top of that, they're living in a way, they're trying to live according to the standard that God has set, and that's making some people mad. 
And I, I read that, and you have to read that in context. And I'm going to tell you, these guys, they are standing, brother. They are standing. There is no compromise in these guys. There is no turning back in these guys. In fact, these guys, when they're persecuted, they celebrate that they're worthy to suffer as their Savior, Jesus Christ, did. These are men with a backbone. These are men that live for something. And in that, there is great suffering. In that, they're in duress. And in suffering and in duress, God says this. It is better, if God should will it, that you suffer for doing right rather than for doing what is wrong. Here is why. Because it's more about the mission than it is about us. It's more about the mission than it is about us. It's more about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's more about being faithful to the commission that he's given to us as Christians than it is about our comfort. It's more about the mission than it is about us. The only way that's doable is to keep your eyes on Jesus. Now think about that. Why, why does Peter say we have to sanctify Jesus as Lord in our hearts? Why does the author of Hebrews say you have to set your eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith? Think about Jesus for just a second. He comes as a man. Now I want you to go back and look sometime at Philippians chapter 2. Do you know what? He is in heaven. He needs nothing from us. He is God. He is fully God and he has all the glory of God. He needs nothing and he comes as a man and he doesn't have to. And the reason he does is because it's more about the mission than it is his comfort. And you read the account. He's born. He's not born in a palace. He's not laid somewhere in a bunch of fine Egyptian linen. He's, he's born really out behind the alley, behind a hotel, and there's not even a bed to put him in, so they put him in a trough that the animals eat out of. Why would the king of glory be born in such conditions? It's because it was more about the mission than it was about himself. He comes into his own, the Bible says, and they receive him not. And he's rejected by his friends. He's rejected by his nation. More than that, he's rejected by his family members. Those that were closest to him, they abandoned him. He is mocked. He is ridiculed. And you wonder why the king of glory would submit himself to such a thing? It's because it was more about the mission than it was about his comfort. And then look at the crucifixion. They take him and they snatch him up. The Bible says they whip him across the back. They pull the beard out of his face. They take a crown of thorns and they disgrace the king of kings and they mock him and they push a crown of thorns into his head and then they stretch out his hands and they drive nails through his hands and through his feet and his blood begins to run out down the cross of Calvary and it's because it was more about the mission than it was about his comfort. And there as he hangs on the cross as God's wrath towards sin, I don't know if we can even imagine that, is poured out upon him. And he becomes the thing that he hates. He becomes the sin of all mankind. He becomes your sin and my sin. And as he walks it all the way to the end, he doesn't stop short. And as he dies there on the cross and says, it is finished, it's because it was more about the mission than it was his comfort. Listen to me, by the cross of Calvary, our debt is paid. By his suffering, we are set free from the bonds of sin. We have a right relationship with the Holy God. He is our example. He is the one that we follow. He is our Lord. And so in 2017, 
We need grown men who are so passionate about Jesus Christ that it becomes more about the mission than it is about us. When's the revival coming? When's the revival coming? When's the movement of God coming? When's the the home going to turn around? When are our marriages going to turn around? When are we going to see God's glory go out in Vernon, Texas? It's going to be when we wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm so in love with Jesus Christ and what he did for me and show me his grace that I'm so passionate about him. It's more about the mission today than it is about my comfort. Problem is the perspective we hold. It's more about the mission as a Christian than it is about our comfort. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. I'll leave some word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come and let me just say, Lord, we thank you. Jesus, we praise you. For no good people like us, people that would rebel against you, forget you, would spurn your love, you love us. Through the cross of Calvary and your own sacrifice, your own blood, you save us. And so we come today and in this gathering of men on a Thursday, we tell you, Lord, we love you and we praise you and we lift high the name of Jesus Christ. We come today, and I pray that as we start to think about that, and as we start to consider that, and we start to think about who we are in Christ and what we have because of Christ and the commission he's given us, I pray for men in this room that it becomes more about the mission than it does our comfort, and it becomes more about the mission than it does our pride, and it becomes more about the mission than it does our schedule. And, Lord, I pray that we'd be a faithful people to you and to your cause. Empower us for that. Pray for the men in this room. Lead them, bless them, encourage them, strengthen them, shape them, and use them for your glory. We love you. We praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.